It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff, and today we have some really interesting topics. We're going to talk about Europa League madness from last week. Yes, it needs 8-1 dropping of Dynamo Minsk. Then we're going to chat about the Russian Premier League, all the latest from the Russian Premier League, and some lower league football today, second division, Russian Football National League, and even further down. And joining me to do this, as always, live from Arrakis, doing the desert planet, is Tim. Tim, how are you doing? Good morning, Manu. It's way too early, but I'm excited to be on the pod. Uh, I just finished the three-day festival, still recovering from this. But um, I still watched, obviously, Spartak. I cannot miss that. And uh, excited to talk about um, some other clubs, which are not Spartak. Can you uh, actually see anything beyond 50 meters? outside your window at the moment <laughs> yeah it's not that bad like there is right now fires season in 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 bc where me and manu live uh there's a lot of unfortunately and that's unfortunately happens every year there's so much fire happening and where i am from it's just yeah it's it's not that bad but i know where you're from it's you can't really see anything around you because it's so dark because of the smoke yeah they had the fog on on yesterday i guess in this case it's actually a smoke on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad. Um this is I don't remember it being this bad when I was when I was a kid and we came over here for the summers, but yeah, right now this is this is definitely worse. I feel like I'm I live in I live in a campfire attempt. But yeah, <laughs> let's let's leave uh the, the smoke and the life on the desert planet alone. Um joining us for today's podcast. Is Saul Pope. Saul, it's so good to have you on. We didn't have an 18-month wait this time. We didn't, no, and uh, thank you very much for such a warm welcome. Well, I was always always happy to have you on, and uh, I think we have some really, really interesting uh, topics to discuss um, this week, especially uh, one including your team. Um, mm -hmm. There was a little bit of madness um, in the Europa League, and um, kind of want to start with that um, because what happened there <laughs> i mean um actually just right now we got andrew flynn joining us andrew how are you doing hello hello not bad guys thank you very much uh, just, out uh, of the blue you're totally out of the blue <laughs> Um, yeah, just um, soaking up the buzzing pre-match atmosphere before the russian cup so yeah, it's a good time to be on a football club podcast. Yeah, the Russian Cup. We'll, we'll have to chat about this. I I assume you have a little bit of time to chat with us this morning. I certainly do. Certainly do. Um, I mean, much as the geologue is the bustling, happening place to be, there isn't a great deal of pre-match entertainment. So, uh, yeah, now just uh, on the way to the usual attendance of fifteen hundred people. So, simply too noisy for us. <laughs> Excellent stuff. So uh, I guess we have the time to, to, to discuss the Europa League before we discuss um, lower league football then, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm cool. very, very excited about this week, though. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. And I guess I was just going to ask Saul about Zenit, but because you just jumped on here, completely out of left field, I have to add, um, 
we have to take a quick look because you did write this preview. Um, Rangers against Ufa. Ufa took mm -hmm. out the mighty Progress Niederkorn. Is there, isn't there a little bit of irony here that, you know, the very team that took out <laughs> Rangers last year, um, was taken out by Ufa and now Ufa playing Rangers? Well, absolutely. By football ground mathematics, that means that Ufa nailed on to go through, I think. So, um, that is quite, quite a nice little touch, I think. I think also something that was amusing when I was just digging into Rangers squad for the preview was that they've copied Ufa, or perhaps Ufa have copied them, but they've both done the same. They both signed a player from the team they knocked out in the previous round of qualifying. So mm -hmm. perhaps by the group stages, we'll have, um, we'll have Alfredo Morelos playing for Ufa. Who knows? Um, but it's, it's a nice little, little bit of continuity there, I think. Yeah. It is interesting that, you know, it's exactly that, that kind of matchup. I'm really curious. Of course, you saying that, um, that Ufa are going to knock out, uh, Rangers means that we probably just lost half of, uh, Scotland as potential listeners. <laughs> yeah, I think, no, I mean, okay, I, w I will be, I will be honest for a moment. With my heart, of course, I want Ufa to go through with my head. Rangers have a, a much younger squad. Then I think probably a lot of people outside Scottish football realise, and you know they, they're unbeaten this season. They are a much bigger club. The atmosphere at Ibrox could, annoyingly, be the deciding factor over the two legs. Mm. Um, Rangers so far away from home have been uh, defensive, solid. They've kept clean sheets, um, and Ufa are usually like that at home. So I think in Russia, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too concerned about Rangers running right. It's just the first leg that I am concerned about. So on balance, with your head, you'd have to say Rangers are favourites. But um, you never know if Ufar can be stubborn, dig the heels in, which with their five-man defence they're very good at, then it really opens it up for them. Yeah, absolutely. And now you also wrote the preview for Sinit's uh, game against Molde. Um, so before we talk about last week's madness, what's what's your what's your thought on that? Um, there's a the coach of Mordor, of course, is an old fan favorite of your English club. Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is, is, and always will be a legend for me, but not just, okay, I'm biased. Of course, I'm a Manchester United fan and he scored the most memorable goal, certainly in my lifetime for my club. Um, but as a manager, he has proven himself in Norway. He has, been in charge for a total of about five years at Mulder, the club he grew up with, of course. And they, they have a couple of interesting players. Um, Alf Inge Harland is a name a lot of English football fans will be familiar with playing for, for Leeds and Manchester City in, in England in the 1990s. His son, an 18 year old, six foot four, um, he's scoring well, pretty much for fun. And he's already signed an agreement to move to uh, Red Bull Salzburg in January. So I can't confess to have seen him play a lot, but his, his numbers, his records, you know, speaks for itself, really. But this is, this is something we're talking about. Um, you know, oh, that's the bus the atmosphere you were talking about. Yeah. Ah, that is it. You can, you can taste it, fellas, can't you? you can oh, taste wow. It. I'm just <laughs> going crazy here, sitting in Vancouver, just just can get my hand on this geolog atmosphere. Tim, this is the sort of atmosphere you'd expect at the Rocket from Russia Fest, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> there won't there I, won't be any crowd surfing this time, though. <laughs> so I thought I thought when you come to the press box, this is where the crowd surfing starts. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I don't want to. to you know, blow my own trumpet, but no, nah, it's nothing like that at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, we laugh now. Um, this is, like I mentioned, the Russian Cup, and Chumen will be drawn against one of the four Premier League sides from last season in the next round. So, hopefully, it really genuinely will be like that next time. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, let's let's maybe um, just stick quickly to the with the Sadiq story, because I want to get you in here, Saul. 8-1. <laughs> what happened? I mean, this is, this is perhaps the, the craziest game I've, this is definitely the craziest game at this stage of the season. I mean, we haven't seen that much football yet, but this is the craziest game I have personally seen in a long time. I mean, you had this down as 4-0 for Sunit and then they would go through the penalties. I think they actually managed to 
top that. Well, absolutely, they did. I mean, when when I looked at it, I was you know, I was trying to think, could they possibly get five nil? And I thought there's no way. But when I thought about it, I thought actually four nil is not improbable. Yeah. Um, you know, in in full time, and any kind of takes it to extra time, and things are really in the balance, and that's exactly what happened in terms of the first ninety minutes. I think the last two goals, you know, Dynamo had, had kind of just given up really, so that somewhat, you know, six one would have been fairer. Um, but in terms of what happened, I just think it was more probably, you know, it was more down to what happened in the first leg, I'd say. Mm. Um, you spoke about this a little bit last week, but, you know, Simak, I think, you know, young manager, not very experienced. Um, and I think he underestimated the opposition, really. I don't, didn't see there was that need to rotate so early in the season. It's not like the guys have played a lot of games and they're tired. Um, and not even taking Juba there, you know, not even to have him on the bench. I could see why well, he might be rested after the World Cup, but not to even take him. And of course, the, the big one was Ludigan playing in the first round. Mm. The, the first game, sorry. And there's a player who I really don't understand what's what's happened to him. He was so good when he joined Zenit. He really was such a good signing because he didn't cost much and he you know, muscled his way into the... Well, he was in the first team and then into the Russia squad and then played games for Russia. And he's a player who, you know, certainly two of those goals, I watched the highlights again last night, um, and two of those goals he was at fault, but he just kind of looked immobile. You know, he, he, you could see he wasn't in the game, he wasn't reacting quickly, he wasn't moving for any of the goals, really. Um, so I think, you know, as, as a player, it's time for him to move on. He's, he's not going to sit there as a number two, but that's what's going to happen to him. Um, but I think that that's the big thing that happened. I think it was some mistakes in the first leg and up. We got, you know, Dynamo's backs up a little bit and, and really made them push on. Um, but I think what, it, what it's done actually is to cement something of, of Simak as a, a legend. It's very early in his tenure, of course, but he was a legend as a player and it's cemented some of that now as a manager. You know, he's someone who you start to believe in as um, a manager who can get you out of a tough situation. You know, I was, I was reflecting on this and thinking, would Mancini have done that if he lost that first leg? Not 4-0, say, but 3-0 or 2-0. Could he have got Zanit back into it? And I'm, I'm not sure he would have done. So I think he's, potentially this does kickstart the season for Zanit. You know, Simak's shown that he really can turn things around. He can make a mistake, but he can turn things around. Yeah, Tim, um, what were your thoughts when you saw this result? Well, to be honest, when I saw the result, I didn't even know the, the story. I thought they just won 8-1 in the normal time. I didn't know it was 4 nothing and then extra time because I... Just did, don't, don't, you know, didn't watch Zenit. Yes. That's how I live my life. <laughs> uh, but, um, just, uh, just for, for the listeners, it was a very interesting atmosphere. Uh, if the listeners don't know, the, the game was cl- played behind the closed doors. It was played on the old Petrovsky stadium. Uh, so it was that, that smaller stadium, not the new one. And, uh, the fans did actually, you know, as, as they need to be now, uh, our rivals, but still they did such a good, good job. Um, because if you don't know, Petrovsky stadium is right on the Neva river. So they rented two little ships and they supported the team from the outside of the stadium. They didn't really know what was going on because of course they had it on their phones. But they didn't see the game happening. But uh, the Zenith player said that they could hear the fans uh, from the outside, from the river. So if you can find the footage, it's pretty cool. So how there's two ships filled with Zenith fans, all obviously in their scarves and like the f- f- everything, and they just going crazy. They're going so loud um, on on two little ships next to the stadium on the river that the players could hear them. That was super super cool. So um, the other there was quite a few reports from that game because the game was played behind the you know, the closed doors, so the reporters could get really close uh, to the players. And you can hear, you know, what uh, Sergei, how Sergei Simak spoke and uh, how all the players spoke uh, in, in, you know, before the extra time. Tom Zuba was so tired, he was just laying on the ground. And then um, the, the you know, the, the I don't know what's uh, the, the physio was doing him like a massage. And then the, one of the journalists just came up to him and said, Artyom, are you going to win it? He's like, of course we will. And then and he was like, he was dead tired, but he was confident in the success. So, you know, that, that little report, uh, which was shot by uh, Vasily Utkin and Timur Zhuravin, who are like one of the leader journalists um, in, in Russia, that it's a really cool video, which captures 
the atmosphere, like a non-existent atmosphere inside the stadium and crazy atmosphere outside of the stadium. So fans did a great job and obviously they need, you know, turning around from 4 nothing. It's, it's, it's great result. And, um, you know, for the people who were part of that, uh, for the new defense is definitely a great historical story because really, um, that whole game is just weird. Losing for nothing away, winning, um, eight one at home, no fans, crazy support outside. It just, it just, uh, old stadium. So there's too many facts which are just interesting about this game. And of course, the, the other thing to add to that is that, um, a lot of fans were at the St. Petersburg stadium, the main stadium, watching the game on a big screen there, I think. And, um, Alexander Kakorin was there as well. Um, and in terms of the ferries, Simak came out, he said, yeah, we could hear them, and he came out to um, thank the fans as well afterwards. Um, and you're right, that, that the um, Timur, the, the video there, was a, is a really, really good, really interesting one to watch, isn't it? How he was able to kind of wander right around the pitch and hear everything. And in, in some, it just makes me think, when certainly in England, you get a lot of people saying, oh, well, who cares about the Europa League? It's, it's a nothing competition, it doesn't matter. Well, people who think that should watch that video, because that really shows you that in some places, certainly, people really do care about the Europa League and it really does matter. But yeah, really, it was a really good time to be as an Eat fan that night. It really made me feel proud. No, I, we definitely care about the Europa League. I think it's it's a very <laughs> fun competition. I, I think it's an underrated competition in many ways because you get to see stories like that one and you get to see it's, it's kind of, in many ways, still... Um, you know, we were raving on the, the game pressing podcast about the, the German cup and how it's uh, so fun seeing smaller clubs play against some of the bigger teams. And I feel almost that this, the, the Europa League is the equivalent of that in Europe, you know, because you do get, you do get some of the bigger clubs that have a big budget, um, perform against some of the smaller clubs. And I mean, there was so much history in that game to begin with, right? Um, we all saw the picture of the, Fan holding up the scarf with the the two dates, the, the 1982, mm. um, 1986, right when Zenit won the, the Soviet Premier League uh, or Soviet Vishaya Liga, and you now Minsk won the so the only Soviet Vishaya Liga title. I mean, this is this is a storyline that we almost completely um, was completely forgotten that those two teams used to play in the same country, and the same league, and used to be big clubs in in their respective leagues. Of course, Zenit still is a big club, Dynamo Minsk uh, less so. But I think that that is already a nice storyline and it's that really nice. It, it had like a real cup atmosphere. Um, something that we don't often get in the Champions League. Of course, you get some of the smaller clubs in the Champions League as well, but how often do they really beat a big side, right? And, yeah. um, this, this game over the two legs, um, had so much, um, so much in terms of uh, yeah, so much in terms of atmosphere, history, um, it was just a really fascinating tie to watch. And I think Europa League is really great for that in some ways, isn't it, um, Saul? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a lot more unpredictable. The, the Champions League, you know, it's, it's kind of the same teams and it's high quality football, isn't it? But it's the same teams year in, year out, more or less. Um, the Europa League is different teams most years and, and you're right, some of the smaller teams, in inverted commas, can, can kind of get in there and do well. So it is a really interesting thing to watch. I think it's it's probably just an English fan thing. You know, we, some of our fans of our bigger clubs are, are sometimes a little arrogant and kind of, oh, it's not interesting. And then they, their side goes and gets stuffed by a second-place Norwegian team or third-place Romanian team in the Europa League. But somehow it doesn't matter. I don't know. But for me, no, really interesting. And you're right, a genuine cup competition, I guess. Yeah, I mean... I ask this question almost every season and I'm going to ask all three of you, should the Europa League go back to the old UEFA Cup format? Tim, what do you think? Straight knockout like it used to be, no group stage? It would be more interesting for the fans, but it will be less money for the uh, UEFA, so that's not going to happen. Andrew? You know, actually, I'm slightly conflicted on this one. Um, just from the pure... I don't know, curiosity, it'd be great to see a knockout again. But I know it is basically to fill your way from pockets, but there are genuine benefits for the smaller clubs. You know, if all fire gets to the group stages, um, that sort of money for them is like Champions League money to a bigger club. And I can't deny yeah, that sure. that is a very, very good 
And it's a, I think it's a very healthy target for clubs to aim for. You know, they're never going to win the Europa, uh, Europa League, but getting to the group stage is like winning it for them at their scale. So uh, I'm torn. I think actually overall I'd have to say no, I like it. I like it as it is. There's enough options to have their moment. Um, but the bigger clubs will still get the financial benefit that they demand from UEFA. So in the end, everybody's more or less happy. But yeah, there is a part of me that would like to hark back to the good old days. So 50-50 really. Saul, what do you think? Well, I'd go even further back because I can remember when the Champions League was straight knockout as well and it was just European Cup. And, you know, I would like both of them to be cup competitions like that. You know, a domestic cup is like that. But it's a very good point you make there, Andrew. If it is knockouts, you know, over two legs, a smaller side in either competition might not get much. That so, I guess no. I, I would like it to change back. I think, and you, you'd like to hope then that it helps a smaller team to go further, and they they would get those six games by progressing further, further and further in the competition. Yeah, I, I'm very torn on this too. Um, it's always been very torn on it. I, I'm personally, I like. The, the Champions League group stage, I think it, it's, it's, um, something that I enjoy to watch. I think the, the, the really fundamental problem I have with all of UEFA's competition at the moment is that we're letting in teams into a Champions League that are not champions. And uh, that's really, that's, I think that, that, that it's a, it's a false product in some ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, yeah, I pers- the one, the one thing that I would reform is I would just let the cup winners and the, the champions play in the Champions League because at least cup winners to a certain extent are a champion, right? Yeah. Um, and then UEFA Cup, bring it back, um, and straight knockout. You know, I would even go for, I would take it even one further. Well, one game knockout matches and then have, in order for maybe have a group stage, you can always have, uh, a group with just the final eight teams and then play a final between the two winners of the group if, if that maybe justifies, satisfies some demand. But uh, I'm a radical in that way. I think maybe even one match because a small team has a much bigger chance. Look at Dinamo, for example. Over one leg, they, they beat City. Yeah. They won, yeah. Exactly. Oh. No, you're right. It would be good. And I do, I do feel a little uncomfortable, you know, for being from England and the fourth place English teams getting in there and then yeah. other they're having, you know, their, their champions are not getting through. I would definitely like to see all the champions at least getting through. I think that will be fairer and that will be a better distribution of the money on that level. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe a league later on would work. Well, look at, look at, for example, I know we're, we're getting a little off topic, but I, I think it's an interesting one to discuss because look at Frankfurt last year in the German, won the German Cup, the first trophy in 30 years. And that just qualifies them for the Europa League, right? Yet they, they, winning the German Cup against a side like Bayern in the final, you know, that's a, it's a huge, a huge achievement. I think that's a bigger achievement than finishing fourth in the league. That's, yeah. that's just my opinion. And yet we're, we're giving the cup winner basically, uh, a Europa League slot. Uh, I, I don't, I just can't, I don't feel that's fair. Um, on a personal level, I think that the, the cup winner should be in the Champions League. Deserves more being in the Champions League than a team that finished fourth in the league. That's just my my personal opinion, um, and I mean even in Russia, of course, it would have been awkward in Russia last season <laughs> with, with Tosno all of a sudden uh, getting a Champions League spot. But maybe that would have saved the club, right? So um, yeah, probably wouldn't have happened, would it? Because the other bigger teams would have taken it more seriously. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's another thing. What big teams? I know in, in Germany, people the teams take the cup very serious because the DFB stepped in and. Gave it significant television money, right? To say, like, look, if you win this trophy, you, you get a significant amount of money. And money always helps to make, take, take, for teams to take it serious. But I mean, the same would probably happen everywhere else, right? All of a sudden, that cup would matter again. And uh, I think that is the one thing that I would seriously reform. I would only let champions into the Champions League. But yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We're going completely off topic. Um, Saldo. We kind of want to stay with you because we, we talked a lot about Zenit. I want to transition this to over to the Russian uh, Premier League. Oh yes, I got it right. Not I didn't. The football didn't sneak in as it did the last few times. Uh, it is the RPL, not the RFPL. 
Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, Adam Super. There's a man that has impressed me over the last three months. Um, a player that you all know, I don't rate that highly. Uh, Andrew knows exactly what I'm thinking about him. He has um, sort of won me over a little <laughs> bit in the last in the last few months because his work rate has been impressive and just his attitude. I mean, the Europa League match was one thing, but his attitude is he seems like a changed man um, in some ways, right, Andrew? Yeah, no, absolutely, Manu. And I, I've shared those doubts over him uh, with you for the World Cup squad. I was right up until pretty much the last few weeks, I was against him being in the World Cup squad at all. Um, but uh, you, you've got to give him credit where credit's due. You know, some players, they thrive on momentum and I call it a bit of ego, if you like. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think Zuba is certainly one of those. But he's when he's the main man and when he knows he's the focal point of the top team, he will, he will deliver. Um, so yeah, I, I give him give him credit where credit's due. He's he's won me over so far as well. Uh, I can hear that background. That's that's awesome. Yeah, Peru to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the most imaginative range of chance they've got. Two men only scored and everything. Uh, but yes, they've uh, the ultra section has has piped up a lot more this season. So a bit, a bit of flavour of Russian football for the listeners there. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that flavour in just a moment. Um, Saul, what's your opinion on uh, Zuba? I mean, uh, is he like a changed man? So, yeah, no, I think what, what you said there, Zuba, he's impressed me in the last three months, and I think that's the thing with him. He blows very hot and cold. I'll, I'll be convinced if in another three months or maybe even going into the, you know, the period after the winter break, he's still performing like he is, and he's still showing the, the same kind of attitude. I mean, he's obviously really enjoying the attention that he's getting, and you get the sense that he's, he's quite a kind of warm-hearted guy, you know, he comes across as a human being, doesn't he? Um, but he does really blow hot and cold, like so many Russian forwards. I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the, the possibility of him, you know, moving abroad. Cardiff City were interested, apparently. And I just, I don't think it would work out because for me, he's more in the mold of um, Roman Pavluchenko, Pogrebniak as well, who kind of moved Arshavin even and did a little bit of good, but then basically flopped. They didn't quite have the right mentality and attitude to really succeed and I think that's the thing with him because he, he blows hot and cold he, he'll fall out with people certainly it would have been a, a disaster I think for him to have moved to Cardiff City and had a, a manager called Neil Warnock managing him who you may or may not know but certainly isn't a man oh dear lord any <laughs> messing about does he say you can imagine him and you know Juba doesn't get picked or whatever or only gets 10 minutes and refuses to go on he's, he's going to be gone he'll be out of the team straight away so for me, I don't know, I just think that he, he blows too hot and cold and I'm not convinced yet. I'm really happy with what he's doing and yeah, he's a great player, he's working hard but he needs to do that consistently to be a, a truly great player, I think. So not wholly convinced, even though I'm as any fan. Mm. Tim, he's now 30. Is he maybe just grown up? No, I don't think a person like Zuba can like really grow up. Uh, I think he he always... He always does well when he has a point to prove. Uh, you, yeah, Zubek is the product of Spartak Academy and he was supposed to be our uh, biggest next forward. But he had quite a few conflicts with Valery Karpin when Valery Karpin was coach. And he, every time he went on loan, he really, you know, he was, he was magnificent. He had a point to prove. Same was here right now with the World Cup. 
Um, he obviously was on loan in Arsenal Tula. He was in, in conflict with Mancini and hit a point to prove and he had a goal to get into the World Cup. Obviously playing the World Cup again, it's a point to prove. Right now he has a goal because he, um, even Zenit won so many trophies. And he, when he was in Spartak, he really, he didn't win any trophies in his career. The only trophy he really has is the cup, which he won with Rostov. He never won the, the league because, um, his words were when he left Spartak that he went to Zenit uh, to win the league and to win the trophies. And then since then, uh, obviously Spartak won the league and Zenit didn't. So he is kind of left on that, in that position that he, uh, even he's right now the number one striker in Russia and the whole country loves him. He still have, hasn't won the league. And before the season started, he said that right now it's my time to win the league and I'll do everything uh, with the need to win the league. So he has another po- point to prove and he again performing um, um, amazingly. So he really is the player who needs to be in this condition where he has a point to prove and then he performs um, in 100%. When he is uh, fairly comfortable, he's still a good player, but this is when uh, what Sal has been talking about, hot and cold starts happening. But when he right now, when he motivates himself with a a next goal or next point to prove, he becomes a very, very motivated and very dangerous forward. So um, it's interesting. It's um, I'm happy for him. Obviously, he, you know, that he, he's doing well. It's not really in my interest, but you know, as just neutral, it's really good for him that he again um, doing well. And right now, really, the whole country loves him. Yeah, I, you know, the thing that really surprised me, Tim, is, um, and this is something that I've always heavily criticized about him was the lack of work rate. Um, I I called, I often called um, Zuber the perpetual offside machine because he would, he would never track back, right? He would always be caught in an offside trap because he was a little lazy. And um, the, I think that what impressed me um, in particular in the game against Dinamo Mins, but just in the, in the in games also at the World Cup, was work rate and fitness. Um, he seemed in those, in those two things, he seemed to be a completely different man. Um, you know, his work rate was much better and his fitness levels are certainly exceptional at the moment, right? I mean, even, even in this match, he went a full 120 minutes and we have to remember he played, they, they played, Russia played long, a lot of minutes at the World Cup and had to do a lot more running than most national teams because they were always chasing the ball, right? So, um, it's it's that's really something I think that's changed in his career. Um, but see, this is this like you know his work rate is, goes up. Like I said, when he has a point yeah. to prove. So when he that was the issue when he was in Spartak, and then Valery Karpin had issues with him because yeah, the same thing. But once he moved to different clubs, and like I said, when he was, had point to prove, and when he played in Tomsk, he was fighting like uh, like a tiger there. So it's it's really like I know what you're talking about. Sometimes he does that, but this is that hot or cold what Sol was talking about. When he's motivated, he's running, he's fighting, he's tracking back. When he is in comfortable position, he starts he starts slightly being lazy. So again, like you know, it's I don't know. It's he's such such a player who is really depends on this psychological side of side of the game. He, obviously, he has that talent, but he really needs this motivation right now. He has the motivation, and like you, like you said, yes, he's fighting, he's tracking back. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see how long this motivation will last, and then. Let's say if Zenit wins the league next year, how he will be next year after, you know, after the success in, in, in the World Cup, after winning the league, what he, what the, his motivation will be next year. And that, that will be interesting. So, uh, we'll, we'll have to see, but right now he's definitely doing well and good for him. Well, then Saul, how do you keep, uh, Art and Suba uncomfortable enough for him <laughs> to, to keep working hard? Um, in other words, is it, is it that title? Um, right now, when I look at the league tables, Zenit have been impressive. It's, it's, it's a very good start for them. Four games, four wins, 12 points, eight to one goals. Um, I mean, yes, Zenit have been there before, right? So that they have a, had a strong start to a season and then kind of, uh, yeah. fell off, but it, it does feel a little bit different this year, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. No, it does, definitely feels different, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's true that they, they started in exactly the same way last year when the Mancini mm. did look so good, you know, for the first seven or so games. Um, in terms of Duber, I mean, I think the thing that's worked for him actually is change of circumstances, hasn't it? 
when he's moved to somewhere new, he's normally gone out there and done well at the start, and then he's become less motivated. We don't really want him to, to uh, change his circumstances and, and move on, of course. Um, but yeah, I will be just really interested to see where we are come the end of the season. Is he still the guy starting all the games for Zanik? Kakorin will be back, of course. And, you know, Kakorin can play out wide, but would probably prefer to play through the middle. Will Duba still be just as motivated? Will he have fallen out? He's fallen out with a lot of high-profile managers, if we include, you know, Chichesov as well in the, the national team. Um, so, yeah, let, let's see where he's at. And I really hope for his sake he hasn't uh, done something silly like moved to Cardiff City and fallen out with Neil Warnock in the first few months. He's playing for Cardiff Reserves by the end of this. But strange things have happened in Russian football. Yeah, and especially with Artem Suba. I mean, no one would have thought that six months ago we'd be talking or talking like that about him, right? I think it's it's a complete turnaround. Re- remember the pictures from him in the gym when he was um, just after he fell out with Roberto Mancini. Um, we we all thought World Cup gone. Where what's what kind of future is he going to have? And he completely turned that around. He's definitely an interesting player in many regards. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's he's kind of part of a group of I think slightly wayward post-Soviet Russian national team forwards, isn't he? There's a topic podcast there for you. There's a whole host of people you could include in that. You know the. The sensible ones who've been pretty consistent, you can certainly count on one hand. And I'm thinking Kazakov, Vyshasnik, maybe. You know, the ones who've ended up being the top scorers for, for Russia, actually. But the, most of the others, you kind of feel like in some way they've all squandered their talent a little bit, at least. So, yeah, he, he's, he's an interesting character, certainly. Well worth following. Definitely. I mean, I love that podcast idea, right, Tim? Yeah, I have a couple more to add. But, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, when... when... We'll do that over the winter. We'll do wayward Russian forwards. <laughs> <laughs> Special topic. Um, but I want, I want to get it further down the table and, um, have to kind of check in with Andrew and his noise levels. Because before we start talking about Spartak, uh, well, don't worry, Tim, we'll, we'll talk about Spartak. <laughs> um, I look at this table. And I see Spartak second place. Okay, I'm like, yeah, that's 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 not a big surprise. I mean, kind of all expect them to be there or thereabouts. And then I look at third place and I see Orenburg. I feel like they should be in the league that Andrew is currently attending. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's ironic you say that, Manu, because I, I've said before that Orenburg, over my entire time watching Chumen, are the one side in the Fennel I've always felt should be in the Premier League. They've always outclassed every team they've played with. But the real reason why they're, they're so far up the table is because they have former Chumen forward Andrea Chukanov playing for them. I mean, it's <laughs> That's <obvious>. it, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, in, in, all, in all seriousness, though, um, Orenburg do have a very, very well-balanced side. The only concern I have for them is they, they will need to be making some reinforcements at the back because Dmitry Andreev and Adesoya Adewale, if I've got the pronunciation correct, those two have, I believe it's a combined age of 70. So, um, you know, they, they've been brilliant at Fenair level. Uh, they will soldier on for another season in the Premier League. But, um, if they can reinforce with a couple of sensible signings, then they really, they really should be a, a Premier League side. Um, I'm pleased just to see a Fenair representative, you know, put a good shot at it early on. Um, they will start dropping points, of course, because they, they don't have the, the class of all of the other teams. But, you know, keep an eye on them. They, they're a well-run side. Yeah, um, Saul, they're your sister team. <laughs> we all know who runs it, who calls the shots at Orenburg. Um, financially, yeah. I mean, this um, is not going to last, is it? Well, I, I guess I was, I was thinking about this the other way around. I mean, certainly one thing they have done is they've put down a market. They've got a couple of really good away wins, you know, against smaller sides, but big away wins. And I saw their, their first game was Spartak, I believe. And, you know, although they lost and it, that was a fair result, I think they, you know, they played some nice fo- If we look at it the other way around, though, Rather than them dropping points and dropping down the table, who's going to come up and take their place is, is what I'd ask. You know, I think CSK would be an, an obvious candidate, but this year, well, not at the moment, not with the team they've got, I would say. It's, there's a bit of rebuilding going on there. 
something's going wrong at Lokomotiv, at least this start of the season. Mm. Although he's not that different to side. And then Krasnodar, I feel, I don't know what the others think, but I feel like the, the kind of breaks are on at Krasnodar at the moment. So I don't think they've really kicked on, you know, past kind of coming in fourth or, or, or maybe third. So you could see them dropping down a slight bit, but three or four sides really going to come in and, and kind of usurp them and knock them right down to, say, seventh or eighth if they keep playing well. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um Tim, of course, I mean, your side, Spartak, um, we will expect them to probably challenge Sinit all the way, but Saul has a good point. There's, there's issues at, at Loco, uh, although they did win on the, the weekend, right? Um, so finally won a match, um, with a man down. Um, I think that's all Benedict Hurwitz is doing, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Saul has a point there, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that because there's no, um, as of right now, based on what we've shown, there's not, no, not that many teams who really impressed and who can see that they will be consistently doing well, uh, throughout the whole season. Uh, we always, obviously have to remember that our league is weird in that way because we have the summer part of the season and the winter part of the season. So a lot of things can, could happen in that break and we've seen that happening many many times so even with Orenburg or like with Rostov doing well we need to see what will actually happen in this break uh, but um, yeah it's, it's, it's just kind of interesting project I don't know it's nobody knows what to make out of them because they just pretty much built a completely new team with lots of uh, promising and somewhat talented youngsters from their academy mm-hmm. and from Scandinavia and uh, Balkans so it's an interesting project and you know, who knows, maybe, maybe they will be challenging. I'm, I, it will be hard for them definitely to, with that and experience quote, to play in the Champions League and the, uh, the Russian Premier League. Like a motif, like I said in the beginning of the season, and I will be saying that all season, I don't see them, um, uh, repeating the success of last year. I, I think they will have a hard time get, getting even into Europa League. So yeah, that kind of, you know, that position, uh, Krasnodar always never impressed me as a club which will fight for the trophy. They should be somewhere around between Champions League and Europa League. So maybe that's their chance. But again, I don't see really with uh, Feather Small of Gun. I don't see really that superstar, which they, do, they, they, which they really need a person who will be the leader of the club. I don't think the club has a leader. So I agree. It's, it's weird because like really there's no obvious uh, team who will be uh, fighting for the, for that third Champions League spot. Because I think it's fairly obvious that Spartak and Zenit will be fighting for the trophy. Yeah. No, I would go along with that. I mean, Spartak, your team, Tim, very result-based this year. <laughs> Four games, three to nil goals, um, ten points. That's um, very Italian of them, isn't it? It is. It is very, very, like, what's the goal difference? Three, nothing. Yeah. We have a 19-year-old goalie in, in goal and he he hasn't we let the goal in. Uh, but, uh, to be quite honest and to be fair, as much as listeners know that I love Spartak, we were so lucky to get three points against Krasnodar. Krasnodar should have won this game. The game ended up being very, very controversial with a couple of referees' decisions, except, especially with the last minute decision when there was a potential penalty on Ari and Ari, the penalty wasn't given. Ari went crazy and then he, uh, pretty much punched in the face, uh, the defender, Spartak defender Jago, and he, uh, he got a three match ban for, for that red card. So there was a lot of drama and, uh, Krasnodar fans, first time in history, they started throwing bottles on the pitch. Uh, so there was, and that's kind of unheard of for the Krasnodar because Sergei Galski really, really likes the intelligent atmosphere at the stadium. Those fans will be banned for till the rest of the season, uh, to attend the game. But to be, to be honest, as, and as much as I love Spartak, uh, Krasnodar should have easily won the game. They had so many, they had two like dead on chances and few uh, good ones. And then we just had one half chance and then Zeluish converted it to goal. But then at this point of time, like I, I agree with you, like it's, it's the three point what counts. We don't play brilliantly, brilliantly, but we, we, we change the way they play. And, um, you know, it's, it's good that even with the problems, in in our game, we still get the results. We still 
um, behind Zenith and we're still fighting. The only thing I'm really afraid because Zenith is now is in really good form and we go in a way to play them. In a couple of weeks, we're playing before the national teams break. And if we lose there, it's five points, and then we have to catch up. And this is going to be not fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, we'll keep an eye on that, and that's definitely something that we want to discuss when the time comes, right? But um, I feel like, because we have, Andrew, attend around 32 um, Russian Cup game at the moment, live at the Geolog in Tuman. Um, Andrew... Tell us what happened. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see you being. I don't know what happened because I missed it. I was out doing my minute with you guys on behind the stand, um, and we've had we've we've hit the post of a header. Um, and Sibir, uh had I don't know what the little guy's name's up front, but he skinned half our defenders and pulled the shot wide. So. This is a complete contrast to the league game a few days ago, which was fairly, you know fairly tactical. This one is just end-to-end stuff. So we're 1-0 down at the moment, but don't worry, Chiman know what they're doing. They'll, they'll, they'll pull through this one. I hope. You have <laughs> to hope. kind of explain what's going on there, right? Because this is, of course, the round 32 in the Russian Cup doesn't include uh, the, the Premier League teams. This is kind of like a pre-qualifier, isn't it? Because this is the stage that the FNL teams enter, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting way of doing the Cup, because what it does is it guarantees... Um, Every Fennel team to win their first game in the cup, they're guaranteed a home tie against a Premier League club. So for, for a club like mine, Richie Men, who have a, a famous attendance of 1,500, sorry, I correct myself, Saul is aware of this, 1,800 every single game. Um, if Zanit or Spartak come, that's a guaranteed 10,000 plus in the stadium. Uh, and that's huge money. So, um, yeah, at the moment, it's the funny old club scrapping it out for a right to play the big boys. Um, and, you know, you know something you mentioned earlier in the pod, Manu, about cup winners going into Champions League, you know, the value of domestic cups. I wonder if this is one of the negative sides of it, because all of the big clubs in Russia, they don't take the Russian Cup seriously at all, as we saw last season. I mean, I think it's a record number were knocked out before the quarterfinals. Um and I think part of it is that they know they've got to go to the likes of Krasnyarsk or Khabarovsk and um, terrifying Chimen to, to, to get through. So it's good for Fanny side at least. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to complain as long as, as long as we win well beat Sabir today. You know, um, I'm, I'm looking at this format right now, Saul, and I see that Zenit, Ufa, Arsenal or Dynamo Moscow could be yep. playing Sakhalin in oh. the round of uh, the round of 16. Um, for those who are not familiar with geography, Sakhalin is closer to where we are, Tim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> than, than to Moscow. Um, it's, it's literally halfway across the world. It borders right to Japan. I mean, and it literally borders right to Japan. Part, in fact, where the team plays, where Sakhalin played, that used to be Japan. Um, so Saul, potential away trip to for for Sinead, all the way to Sakhalin. What what do you make of that? Well, that would be a huge drain, wouldn't it? Although you know, I, I always like. I remember, I think Wayne Rooney said this years ago. You know, if you're going to be a professional, you just got to be able to turn up and get on with it, whatever the conditions. Don't worry too much about that and and play for all for all the other things he said and done. That's something that's really stuck in my mind in a, in a positive way. So I, I think I'd have that mentality. What I'd be wary of is. Um, Simak trying to rotate things too much and trying to give too many players a rest at that point because potentially it is a banana skin. You know, it happened last year. They underestimated Dynamo St. Petersburg and got knocked out there. So I guess, I don't know, but it's also a bit of the romance of the cup, isn't it? This actually sounds like quite a nice fixture in a way to have, better than, you know, playing someone they would normally play. Actually, quite an intriguing and interesting game. I wonder what on earth. The time would be in the UK when that game was on. I might have to get up at a very silly WhatsApp. <laughs> but uh, on the other hand, my kids might wake me up just in time at six o'clock in the morning, and I could see it. But yeah, yeah, an, an interesting sounding tie, I would say. Although I've not got to travel all that way to play it, I guess. <laughs> it's. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Tim, is this 24 hours ahead of us or 23 hours? Should be something like that. Yeah, yeah. because they they are almost. I mean, we're not far away. If you go, if you drive up the Jordan River on Vancouver Island, I mean, you can see it. 
I'm joking, of course, but yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, that's going to be a fascinating one. Um, probably, probably one that we're going to preview actually, just for the laughs of it, because it's such a wild game. I I love this is this is something I really love about um, lower league football and the Russian Cup boys is the the fact that you have teams like Sakhalin in it or Dinamo Banal, um, a team that's you know I've been to Banal. Believe it or oh. not, guys. Yeah, <laughs> my uh, I used nice to take nice place. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I when I went to um, when I took the Trans Siberian, I flew back to Moscow and I went on one of those planes. You probably remember this from the Soviet times, Tim. Remember when planes were kind of like buses? They would like lift off, they fly to the next big city, land. A few people would get on, <laughs> a few people would get off. Yeah, it was kind of like a transit bus. Um, so I did one of those, and one of the places that we stopped was in Banal. So everyone would get off, they would refuel the plane, and then everyone would get back on, and um, yeah. landed in a couple of other cities as well. It, it, it was an all-day event, let's say it that way. It was a long flight on a very sketchy old uh, Soviet Ilyushin. Um, I think that's where my fear of flight came from. Um, that it took a while. But anyways, <laughs> so I've been to Banal, um, and they are going to get to play Orenburg, Kriya Sovietov, uh, Yenisai, or Anshi. I think um, Orenburg will probably be quite happy with that one because the distances aren't that crazy. But of course, Skaha Obovska in it, Skaha Obovska in it as well. So, um, one lucky winner, Ahmad Rubin Rostov or Ural will get a, a nice long away trip to that one. It's just, it's just so much fun because like that travel aspect, Saul, right? The, the travel aspect is such a great part of it in some ways, at least for Absolutely. intriguing fans. Yeah, no, totally. And I remember when um, Luch Energia came up into the Premier League. It must be just over, just over ten years ago now. And, and straight away, that was a really intriguing-looking fixture. Thinking, wow, Zenit's got to go, you know, halfway certainly bigger distance than the whole of Europe, halfway around the world almost to play a fixture. So yeah, it, it adds a bit of intrigue, a bit of interest, a bit of romance, but also yeah, it makes it a potential banana skin, doesn't it? can only imagine what kind of state you, you must be in after flying all of that way. You've got to get out there and, and play 90 minutes. It must be pretty tough. So, yeah, it just is something, you know, we talk a lot about the FNL. It's, it's an interesting league, and I don't quite understand why it's interesting exactly. Can't put my finger on it, but that's one thing that definitely makes it have some interest, doesn't it? Just the fact that it's so huge. Yeah, it's the true Russian league, in my opinion, because the, the Russian Premier League is so centered on Europe, whereas the, the FNL is nationwide, is a true yeah. coast to, true coast to coast league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, not like coast to coast. We'd be having the Canadian Premier League come in in April and they were saying, we're coast to coast from Halifax to Victoria. Well, try Kaliningrad to Vladivostok. Uh, <laughs> just a, <laughs> that, that is an entire different dimension. Um, Andrew. You are getting quite the draw. Um, so if Tumen win this one, I don't know what what's the score right now. I'd rather not say the score. One nothing. The less less of a score, Tim. We don't need the update of the score. What we need to know is Tumen are completely outplaying Severe, just just failing to actually score themselves. One nil yeah. down at the moment, though. For a right to play Lokomotiv, CSKA, Spartak, or Krasnodar, or you want to win that match, man. I, I do, I do. I mean, I I was here five years ago when uh, when Ash's third tier side, that's the second division side, we drew Zanit and absolutely destroyed them, played them off the park. Um, you know, just it was a complete obliteration, a mismatch, you might say. Um, but no, in all seriousness, that was just it, it was just something incredible, and it is without doubt the the best night you men have had in. Well, 20 years, really. Um, and the, the stadium was full. The, the fans were just going absolutely ballistic. And half the stadium were supporting Zanit. And that's what would happen if, if we had uh, one of those guys in the next round. But I, I don't care about that. I just want to see this stadium full because this is a stadium that's is Premier League standard. It was built purely with the intention, also redeveloped, I should say, purely with the intention of hosting top flight football um, and it's just, it's a crime for me that it doesn't. So, you know, getting, getting one of those clubs through, 
Could it be a spark? Could yes, it, the spark happened. Could it be a spark? Yeah, no, but um, actually, let's chat about that real quick. Not the spark. Because um, Tumen, of course, played Sabir Sal in the, the last match. Um, mm. in, and the attendance was 1,800. Now, we, we've talked a lot about attendance numbers in, in yeah. the, the FNL in recent weeks. Um, is that a spark Tumen need? Because the, a lot of the clubs, I mean, the attendance numbers weren't crazy because the, the teams that have the big numbers in FNL all played away this year. But right, is that a spark that Tumen maybe needs? Because I, I, we were joking, of course, that they always get 1,800. It's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, well, there's about the, the standard full and, yeah, you know, um, is that the spark that they need? It, absolutely, it, it would be, yes. Um, and here's a shame. He does sound like I've only seen it on the, on TV and, and pictures of it, but he does it like a great little stadium. It's not huge, but, um, you can imagine it, you know, falls in capacity and just hearing a bit of the atmosphere there. They obviously, even with the 1800 that are no doubt there today, it's, it's, they're making quite a sound. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a, a big, <laughs> a big cup tie like that would be absolutely, would be great. I can't see two men doing too much in the league this year. I'm, I'm kind of glad Andrew's been cut off there. I can't, I'm <laughs> old, so They'll do very well. Oh, sure. oh, for goodness sake. I might do another one of those soon. <laughs> No, but yeah, absolutely. You know, for for any team in that kind of situation, it's going to be the cup games that are going to be that spark, aren't they? And potentially, yeah, get a few more regular fans coming down. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, but we need to talk about, you know, we're getting towards the end of our podcast and I need to get this topic in because I know you just love chatting about them. Um, so that's FC. Uh, FC, uh, uh, how do you describe them on Twitter? FC star. No, F yeah, C S star star star. Um, yeah, FC <laughs> Sochi. Um, I, I'll help you out there. They had an Thank attendance you. of eight thousand five hundred eighty-two in the in their last league game, and that game was at the um, the Fished, right? Yeah, that's not great. Do you think? Um, you know, how are they going to get their attendance numbers up? I mean, I think. I think what the big difference is between Sochi and maybe of the other World Cup arenas is that the, the Fished Arena is not a new stadium anymore, right? I mean, it's been yeah. around since 20, it was the Olympics were there in 2014, right? The, the mm. Winter Olympics. So the stadium is four years old. Yes, it was slightly rebuilt for the, the World Cup, but it's, it doesn't have that ooh and ah effect anymore than, Maybe the stadium in Saransk or in Nizhny Novgorod. You think that's the big factor in in the lower attendance numbers there? Yeah, I mean, in, in the context, the attendance was actually pretty decent, wasn't it? Eight yeah. and a half thousand was, you know, if that was last season, you'd be going, wow, besides getting eight and a half thousand, it's not um, Samara. So I, I guess that there is an, an aspect of that. I, I think the other thing is that um, at, at the other side, that there's a bit more of a tradition of second-tier and, and first-tier football going on, you know, even Nizhny Novgorod, um, you know, they had in the, in the 90s, Lokomotiv were there, and then Volga as well, and Volga's a fairly old club. Yeah. In Sochi, there's only been Jim Chuzina, really, and they had, I mean, they had seven seasons in the 90s, but nothing really since then. And I remember when I, you know, obviously I put a few tweets out about this, and some of the response from Russians and people out there on the ground has been that, well, no one really cares so much about football now. It's going to be difficult to get the big attendances. I'm, I'd be interested to see what happens if they, they did go up, um, and they play Spartak Zenit. You might actually have a situation where there was, you know, five, six thousand supporting the team from Sochi and then another thirty thousand supporting the away side, actually. You could almost see something like that happening. But I think it's just that, yeah, that maybe lack of tradition of football down in that region, although there is some pedigree. Um, and that lack of continuity, you know, Baltica, for example, another uh, ground with big attendances this season. Mm. They've been really solid at that level, and there's a real hope that they could get promoted. And it's not something that's kind of fly by night, you know. Whenever yeah. a new club appears or a club moves to somewhere in Russia, there's a sense that, well, how long is this going to be around for? And I'll be interested to see whether the team from Sochi is in two, three years' time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you make a good point with the. Sochi, when they're in the first division, they would draw a lot of people because, you know, they would be kind of like the Mallorca 
of Russian football, right? Um, yeah. There's always a lot of people, um, having been to Sochi, there's a lot of holidayers and it's, it's internal holidayers, um, Russians, um, that go on holiday in Sochi. So I think any league games would be kind of a, a way for them to, to see a football match while being on holiday. Um, but you talk about continu continuity. Um, and the last thing that I want to touch on before we, we wrap this up. Um, you wrote a really nice article about Kubit Krasnodar. They, um, resurrected, but it's kind of two clubs at the moment, right? Um, that, yeah. that are trying to be the successor of Kuban Krasnodar. Kuban, of course, a very historical, traditional club. What's the latest there, Saul? Well, in the, um, in the, the Russian third tier, the professional football league, there is Urajay, um, Krasnodar, who's a new team that, Supposedly has been created on the, on the base of Kuban and is a successor club. Um, and that's really backed by the regional governments above all else. Um, but there is also a team which the fans seem to be supporting, which is Kuban. And they're playing in the amateur league at the moment. They're playing in Krasnodar region. Um, they've got a few ex players and, and recent ex footballers playing for them, actually, all of whom turned out for Kuban. Um, They had a really good attendance for their first game a few weeks ago. I mean, it was free entry, of course, but there were around three and a half, I think, well, three thousand fans there. So there's a there's a big number, certainly by even by Russian third tier standards. And they're hoping that they can get into the professional football within a couple of years, and from there move on up even further. I think for me, the really interesting thing was the quick reaction to a group of you know a group of fans and players had. They were really weren't happy about what had happened to Kuban. And that's the first time, I, I could be wrong, but that's the first time I remember that happening in, in Russian football where fans and, and players, you know, the main backing from those ex-players, I guess, has made it happen. They've gone out there and, and made something and, and kind of reacted against what, what a group of rich people have done. So for me, it was a really interesting story. And it's the kind of one that, you know, I guess most football fans would hope would be a success and they'd be able to move on. But there is, a, of course, a long way to go in terms of that. It's an interesting story for sure, and there's there's more on the story on footballgrad.com. Boys, unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, fascinating podcast. I always like to delve into the the lower lower leagues um, of any any country. Really, I think it's always very interesting to see what's going on beyond the limelight of of big money football. Um, so, thanks again for coming on. Um, uh, thank always you. Always a pleasure to have you. Where can people find you? Um, where can people follow you on Twitter? Floor is yours. Thank you. All right. Well, it won't take long. Um, so, well, my Twitter handle is at Saul Pope. I think I'm the only Saul Pope in the world, so you won't have too much problem finding me. Um, and I also, you know, you'll find some articles on the Football Grad site. The latest one is the one about Kuban. And I do bits and pieces for the football magazine when Saturday comes as well. And if you happen to be in England, um, I've got a piece about the World Cup in the very latest edition, which you can find in all good retailers. Fantastic stuff. Well, Andrew, what's the score over there? Well, yeah, sorry about the delay times, but I'm trying to avoid the score still. It's uh, half time, so I'm heading off for my shawarma. Uh, one nil still to Sibir. <laughs> oh, um, now I'm jealous. But I, I've got a shawarma and a cappuccino coming, so they know me here. So I just, uh, there's always a big queue at half time. I just wave and they already get mine ready. So um, I'm supposed, probably I'm not supposed to go through the security gate with this on. But um, anyway, yes, thank you for having me on. Uh, Manny, great stories to talk about you, man. Um, so, yeah, I'm out of breath. That's how unfit I am. But my shower awaits. Oh, fantastic stuff. You can find Andrew, of course, on Twitter and on, on Football Grad. Um, Tim, how about you? Um, what's going on in your life um, now that your Russian fest is over? Yeah, I finished the three-day punk rock festival, which was a lot of fun, and but it's also a lot of work. So now my life is uh, a little bit quieter than it was before. So now the focus is on football, on work, and uh, the listeners can find me on Twitter on Russian Tim sixty one and on uh, Instagram at Rocket from Russian. Yeah, fantastic stuff, and please follow Tim. Always interesting stuff going on. Well, I've been your host Manu Vef. As always, you can find me at Manuel Vef on Twitter. You can find everything I do on Twitter at Football Grad Live. And of course, uh, this podcast and the other podcasts that we do and all the articles will be tweeted out there. We have big previews coming out this week, the Champions League playoffs, Europa League playoffs. So yeah, stay tuned. 
for all of that. It's all at Football Grad Life. Well, guys, great stuff. As always, talk to you all next week. Das wird dann hier. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.